Goodness, can you imagine the frustration of the Pharisees? What did we just hear? See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, for the whole world has gone after him. These same Pharisees in Luke's account said, some of the Pharisees said to the crowd, teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered, what? I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. God's gracious plan of salvation was set in motion, not out of pride or nobility, but out of what? Humility, a humble way to lead, to serve. We conclude our Lenten sermon series this morning that we've entitled, I Give up. Say that with me. I give up. And this morning as I thought about Holy Week, Palm Sunday, and talked with my team about what were going to be the different things we're going to ask God to help release to him, I thought pride would be a good way to end this sermon series. Giving up Pride, because Jesus set this example not only in entering into Jerusalem, but going through Jerusalem to the cross of Calvary. And in a few minutes, I'm going to read a passage from Philippians that may be familiar to some of you and, and new to others, but I think it's the greatest example of where the Apostle Paul encourages us to be humble, to set aside pride, but also gives us a beautiful picture in a few verses of the humiliation of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus. When we celebrate Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and by God's grace, Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday next week, some of the songs we sing, the prayers that we say, the liturgies, if you will, that we use, are meant to help imagine ourselves there with Jesus. What possibly could it be like to be right beside Jesus, walking in the way of the cross? It has long been customary in many places to celebrate Palm Sunday today, not only as a memory of Jesus' triumphal entry, right? Songs that we've already sang and listened to but also, as some of the resurrection eggs got us to, the suffering that Jesus endured during his holiest week. A couple pictures that I'd like to show you this morning are of that view of the Palm Sunday journey coming down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Now, obviously, I don't think they had paved roads in Jesus. <laughs> But the next slide, we'll you'll see just folks beginning to walk where Jesus walked, coming down off the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey, Pastor Curtis, a donkey. <laughs> I can't help my Lancaster County slang. <laughs> but just this idea of he rode the donkey. He kept going into Jerusalem even though he knew what awaited him. 
As Jesus entered the holy city on a borrowed donkey's colt, which he's asked the disciples to temporarily commandeer for him, a great multitude of those who follow him begin to cry out with blessings from the Psalms, Hosanna, save us, save us. While we associate these words today sometimes with beautiful, cute parades, right, of children waving palm branches, this entire event, the procession, the exclamations, the celebrations, has overtones of, of kingship. And yet, just a few days later, some of those who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, would be shouting what? Crucify him. Crucify him. But as Zechariah 9.9 says in the Old Testament, Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king, but not, but not as a military hero or on a great war horse, arriving to wrest obvious physical governmental power from Caesar. That wasn't his plan. That wasn't his goal. He arrived as a king who came to what? To die. Jesus defeated Caesar's power, but not by anything so obvious as sending an army against him. He defeated Caesar's power by what? Defeating the power of death that stood behind Caesar and every dictator before or since. Jesus paid it all. Amen? He set everything aside, humbled himself to die for you and for me. So friends, it's no wonder the Pharisees tried to shut him up, right? They were operating out of a position of, of power, of, of comfort, of authority, and Jesus was challenging that every norm. And they didn't like it. They had to do something with him. Now some of you may have heard of Jimi Hendrix before. Any Jimi Hendrix fans? I don't know if he was talking about Jesus, but this is what Jimi Hendrix said. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know what? Peace. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And I really believe, friends, this is what Jesus was doing as he rode into Jerusalem. The power of love was overcoming the love of power. And friends, the last two years have been hard. There's been lectures given at seminary saying it's the end of Christendom. The pandemic hasn't helped. One out of three mainline churches have closed. The pandemic, one scholar says, has drop kicked us 20 years into the future. Christendom, the assumed cultural dominance of Christianity in the West, is over, they say. But many, like you and me, might reflect that Christendom is an old illusion. Since the days, we could say, of Constantine and the Roman Empire, when the Christian religion not only became legal, but it also became the trappings of official, what, power and authority. 
One of my favorite minor prophets in the Old Testament, Habakkuk, was sensing that his world, the world of God's people, was going to come to an end due to the Babylonians. And he cries out, Lord, aren't you ancient, my God, my holy one? Don't let us die. Why would you look at the treacherous or keep silent when the wicked swallows one who is righteous? It doesn't matter what time or place we're in, friends. Sometimes it does seem like all is lost. All is lost. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing that all is not lost. The church is of God and will be preserved to the end of time. Can we believe that or can we wrestle with that thought? Not Christendom, not power, but the kingdom of God and his people who make up his church, the one who Jesus rode on the donkey into Jerusalem for. A popular band during my high school days, R-E-M. R-E-M was the name of the band. One of the lyrics of their courses, it's the end of the world and we know it. And I'll be just fine. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Well, friends, this morning is not about getting into a debate whether it's the end of the world. But we can feel fine because Jesus went into Jerusalem, into the cross, into the grave, and rose again on the third day. So in a sense, friends, this, as we begin Holy Week on Palm or Passion Sunday with this truth on our hearts and our minds, how can each of us give thanks for the gift of mercy and grace freely given to us through the loving, caring, good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who came not in earthly power and earthly authority, but with a heavenly one. And so, friends, may we prepare to hear from another part of God's word, Philippians chapter 2, which is a beautiful and powerful example of Jesus loving you and loving me. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you rode into Jerusalem that you continued the journey as difficult as it was, Lord Jesus, to the cross of Calvary. For each of us here this morning, your passion, your love is overwhelming. And so help us to realize where there's areas in our life that we're prideful, that we think we know it all. And help us to see and follow your example and believe your truth that you are the resurrection and the life. And so, Holy Spirit, come and teach us now, we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, tells us this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. I'm going to stop right there for a second. The Apostle Paul is in chains under Roman guard. And we get a sense, we get a sense that the Apostle Paul's joy is what? About 99% complete in Jesus. And you would expect the Apostle Paul maybe to ask the Philippians or to even ask the Romans something very personal. Why can't I be freed from these chains? Why can't I get out of prison? Why can't I go on preaching the gospel? But what does Paul ask? Nothing for himself. But he asks something for the church, for you and for me. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So Paul says, friends, put on your humble robes. Put on the humility of Christ that he has given you. When St. Augustine was asked to list the central principles of the Christian life, this is how he replied. First, humility. Second, humility. And third, humility. Okay, you're paying attention, right? <laughs> but then he goes on. The Apostle Paul does. In verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cross was reserved for the lowliest of lows. Throughout early ancient history, slaves or servants were crucified as an example for others to say, if you get out of line, look what will happen to you. And so Jesus set aside all rights and privileges that he had as fully God and yet remained fully human and went to the cross of Calvary. Verse 9, therefore, what does God do? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, God is at work tackling our pride, dismantling it as he points us to the example of Jesus and the cross of Calvary. How can we become more like Jesus? Well, Jesus gives us a couple examples from 
his word. Remember the the part in Luke 18 where the Pharisee is standing by himself and was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers and even like that tax collector. And then the scene shifts and the tax collector standing far off would not would not even look up to heaven. He couldn't even do it. But he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I, I tell you this, that this, his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will what? Be exalted. Being that I'm on the themes of songs this morning, There's an old Mac Davis song that says, it's hard to be humble. It begins, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. (laughs) And I could see the Pharisees standing there saying, look at us. We, We give our tithes. We say our prayers. We're faithful in the temple. And Jesus inverts the order, doesn't he? The last shall be first and the first shall be last. As Jesus humbled himself, as Paul explained in Philippians, humbled himself even death on a cross. The power of death could not hold him, and God raised him again in that beautiful closing verses of what we read today. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is glorified. And that you and every person under heaven and earth will one day bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords and praise his holy name. P.T. Forsyth says this, Christianity is not the sacrifice we make, but the sacrifice we trust. It's not the victory that we win, but it's the victory that we inherit. It has nothing to do with our ability It has everything to do with humbling ourselves before God, just like that tax collector did and said, Lord, humble me. I'm a sinful person. I need your saving love. It may not seem like it now, friends, and it may not seem like it from here, but all the powers that are not the risen Lord's power will someday fail and fall. It's not about pride. It's not about power. God's kingdom reigns forever following its humbled yet exalted leader. Now some people today may honestly think that the end of the world is near. But as followers of Jesus, it need not be the end of our world as the church. Every day that God gives us, friends, we have an opportunity to reach and extend the love of Jesus into the hurt and heartache of this world, knowing that we have a God who has conquered death and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, even now praying for us, interceding for us as our reigning and exalted King. May we as a community, as we seek to invite all people to grow into 
a Christ-centered life in God's family. May we do that out of a position of humility. May we do that not out of a position of pride where we have all the answers, but may we do it following the example of Jesus and humbly proclaim the wonderful and powerful transforming good news of the gospel in word and in deed. Friends, the church is of God and will be preserved to the end of time. And it might be something to think about today, just like those classic words from that song of R.E.M. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel just fine. So may King Jesus continue to ride on, leading us, leading us in all humility, and may we follow trusting him. Amen? Amen. Father, you have loved the world so much that in the fullness of time you sent your only son to be our savior incarnate by your holy spirit born of the virgin mary he lived as one of us yet without sin to the poor he proclaimed the good news of salvation to the prisoners freedom to the sorrowful joy to fulfill your purpose, he gave himself up to death. Rising from the grave, destroyed death and made all of creation new. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today, setting aside, in fact, giving up our pride and relying totally on your mercy and your grace and your truth. Thank you for who you are. You are our all in all. You are enough. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.